the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
words are jangled in your head Why did summer go so quickly? Was there something that you said? Love was walk along the shore And leave the footprints in the sand And is the sound of distant drumming Just the fingers of your hand And pictures hanging in a hole We are the fragment of our song Have remembered names and faces But to whom do they belong? And when you knew that it was over Like a wheel within a wheel Never ending or beginning On a never spinning reel As the images unwind Like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, National Geographic Kids has come out with uh, the biggest yet, Almanac 2023. And uh, here to talk about that is uh, a National Geographic Explorer, Director of Tree Foundation, and the world's first global arbornaut. Dr. Meg Lohman joins me by phone. Good morning, Meg. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, what exactly is an arbor knot? Well, that's a great question to start with. Do you know astronauts explore outer space? And then we have aquanauts who explore undersea. So arbor knots are technically those people who explore the tops of trees. And believe it or not, crazy as it may seem, only in the 1980s did someone as crazy as me start to climb a tree to explore the whole forest, not just the forest floor. So arbor knots are those people that explore the whole tree, including the very top. Yeah, and and you have uh, pioneered what's called the science of canopy ecology. Um, That's right. How 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 do <laughs> and the canopies very, are the tops of trees? And and how does that? Um, how is that different than other parts of the tree in affecting the ecology? Well, this is sort of crazy, but you know, for hundreds of years, foresters mainly looked at the base of a tree and made decisions. And probably the only time they ever saw the top of the tree was when they cut it down but as you can imagine anything that lived up there would have either flown away or maybe even got squished which is even worse so it wasn't until a couple of us came along and thought holy cow we can't even see the top of a tree in the rainforest unless we climb up it so I designed some methods made myself a slingshot if you can believe it to hoist a rope over a branch and lo and behold we discovered that the canopy of a tree is totally different from what the forest floor is like. In in what way? When I mean, when you send a rope up over a branch that 
Are, you know, the impression we have is that um, trees get less strong as you get further <laughs> up the tree. Do you, do you know what I mean? I sure do. Oh, that's a great comment. And, of course, that is true. So all the more reason to be pretty careful when you put a rope over a branch to make sure it's strong. No, Tom, there's about 1% of light at the forest floor compared to the treetops in a tropical rainforest. And there's hundreds of times more species living at the top of the tree than the bottom. It became pretty important for those of us in the world of science to try to figure out how to get to the top of a tree and do it fairly safely. So I was always pretty careful about which branches I might put my rope over and making sure it was big enough and strong enough. But um, like everything else, um, the results were amazing. The world of discovery had no idea that hundreds more different kinds of species lived in the top of the tree for, as compared to the bottom. So that's why I kind of call it the eighth continent, this whole new world that we still need kids to discover. How, um, what, what kinds of species are living in the very tops of trees? Is, is it mostly insects or um, small animals and, and birds? That's a great question. Well, of course, at the top of the tree, you have most of the leaves because they can get sunlight. You have almost all of the flowers and fruits, again, because they need sunlight. So you have what we call in science a biological hotspot, a real action area for energy production. So not surprisingly, all the insects tend to gather up there to pollinate and eat leaves and eat flowers. And then the birds gather up there because they're eating the insects. And the iguanas are up there because they eat the insects and the leaves and maybe even some of the, heaven forbid, smaller animals. So we find the food chain at the top of the tree extraordinarily complex and diverse. And so that's where everything is living. Now, I'm I'm curious as to why you were selected to um, represent National Geographic's Almanac 2023. Is this the year of the tree? or You know, that's a really good question. And I think what's happened in the world now is we've seen extraordinary, <clears throat> excuse me, lots of trees recently. We've seen fires and droughts and sure. climate change and a lot of clearing. And suddenly... We're all looking around and saying, holy cow, our trees keep us alive. They're so important. So suddenly now we have a lot of attention paid to trees. And thankfully, we've done a lot of good with marine biology and aquanauts. And we've seen a lot of exploration of even the highest mountains in the world, but almost no attention paid to the little arbor nuts of the world or the tops of trees, which is really where most of the energy production of the world is going on. So I think maybe National Geographic thought, wow, we need to probably focus on these all-important species and creatures called trees because they're in every kid's backyard, they're in every schoolyard, and they've been very underestimated in terms of their importance. Uh, 
Well, and as you point out, Meg, um, we know considerably more about the bottom of trees than we know about the tops of trees. Right. Do you know, Tom, more people have climbed Mount Everest than ever climbed a tree for research, which is extraordinary, isn't it? It is. But but I remember uh, someone telling me um, that we know more about space than we know what's uh, what's in our own oceans and seas. Absolutely. And here's a crazy thing, but do you know... Probably nobody listening to your show knows what the commonest species is in their own backyard. We have totally overlooked our local trees and ecosystem sometimes because we're so busy looking around galaxies. So I think it's a good year to think about what's outside of our window. And and what are some of the ways that uh, that this this almanac, National Geographic Kids Almanac twenty twenty three um, brings those things to light. I think the almanac is fabulous, by the way. It's great for adults as well as for kids. I had so much fun studying it, but it certainly highlights a lot of cool and wonderful animals and plants, almost all of which need trees or forests for their habitat, everything from tigers to certain species of insects to orchids to really cool microorganisms. Um, it obviously has a very important um, kind of, you know, special challenge, which is called Me as a Tree, where it challenges kids to get out and think about something that's pretty easy for them to do because everybody can probably find a tree within a square mile of his or her school or home. And, um, there are also all kinds of activities that relate back to forests, keeping our planet healthy. Even things like plastic relate to trees because plastics are in our water column. So if you think about it, almost everything does in some way relate to our fabulous trees that we all too often take for granted, mostly because they don't speak. They don't squeal. They don't sing. They don't perhaps um, have a furry coat that we like to pet. So we just need to probably pay a little more attention to trees in our near future if we want to keep the planet healthy for our kids. More with National Geographic explorer and arbornaut, Dr. Meg Lohman, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do 
you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with National Geographic Explorer and Arbornaut, Dr. Meg Lohman, straight ahead. Well, you know, you were talking about how great the uh, almanac is and how much information there is in it. And all of everything that National Geographic does has amazing photography and reproductions. But the layout of this book, I was thumbing through it, and every page just explodes. That was the only thing I could think of when I opened it and looked at it. it was just This stuff was just exploding off the page with uh, content, pictures and, and uh, stories and information. Um, I want to get back. I think you're right. You know, Tom, you, you could... A parent could take one every day a new page of that book, and you would have a whole year's worth of 
breakfast table science lessons. It's fantastic, the detail that's in there and all the beautiful pictures. Tell me about the um, the new Almanac Challenge. Sure. Well, it's kind of cool, and um, they have a little bit of a bio about being an Arbornaut, which is my crazy title. And then for this year's challenge, they absolutely make it very clear that trees take care of human beings, and they want kids to go out and appreciate trees. Think about what kind of tree you would love to be. Write a brief tree autobiography and even draw a tree. Um, my favorite tree is the fig. Do you have a favorite tree, Tom, that you might write about someday? You know, I've, I, I hope this doesn't say anything about me psychologically, but I, I've always thought that uh, weeping willows were kind of fascinating. Oh, they're beautiful, aren't they? Well, that's great. So you might want to do the adult version of this year's challenge, but they have official rules and details, and you can participate and learn about trees as well as contribute to this year's challenge. It's a really wonderful and amazing opportunity for kids to use their creative side as well as their scientific curiosity. Was there, was there then a, a challenge last year? Yes. So last year was about the ocean, which makes perfect sense because, of course, marine and land-based habitats are both equally important. So last year they had favorite marine animals and talked about things ranging from dolphins to jellyfish. And, um, again, they had a prize winner. I think when people submit their entries, if you're a kid, you might even win a prize. So this year we'll have the same thing happening with kids that want to talk about trees and um, create a creative tree autobiography. Um, not to put you on the spot, Meg, but do you happen to know um, what the the winning uh, entry was or, or who won a prize and for what? You know, I don't know the answer to that, Tom, but I sure hope that I get to meet and talk to that winner because I would love to be trying to entice all these kids to become arbor nuts someday. So that can certainly be part of the prize. Maybe I can teach them to climb a tree with my technical equipment. Did you have to develop a lot of uh, specialized equipment to do the work that you do? I'm trying to imagine, you know, as the, the limbs get less able to sustain weight, where you would how you would mount something or, or find something that you could sit on? Yes, the answer is I definitely had to create my own toolkit. I think I probably spent about 50% of my time as a scientist developing my own toolkit, which is, of course, not surprising when you're creating a new field of science, which is what I was doing. So even though I loved making my own slingshot for starters and then using a string connected to a rope to haul this rope over the tree and using some hardware to get up the rope, I soon found out, just as you said, that I couldn't trust the rope on the teensy branches at the top of the tree. So then I had to develop a different method, which was called canopy walkways. I actually helped build the first Skywalker bridge connecting trees 
in Australia way back in 1985, which was a way of connecting between the trees and walking on the bridges, but not having to worry about the fact that the branches were a little bit skinny. And then I went on to use hot air balloons, if you can believe it, for the very tippy tops of the trees. And we also have a fourth method, which was installing construction cranes in a few super high forests around the world to be able to access the branches from the crane bucket. So lots of crazy methods, but each one uh, directed to do different kind of things. I wouldn't have thought of the uh, hot air balloon, but that's that's brilliant. Um, and so you do use a, a canopy or a bucket of some sort as opposed to um, a harness. I do. I still love the rope and the harness. You know, of course, it's very portable and you can travel all over the world. But with a rope and a harness, you have to really only go as high as the most solid branches. So... Once you go in the very top of the tree, you have to probably rely on a different technique. And now on these bridges that go from tree to tree, are they are they then secured by, um, oh, what would they call it, columns or something on the ground between the trees? Yeah, great question. There's actually a picture of me in the almanac on a bridge in the Amazon, which is a fabulous quarter of a mile long walkway, if you can believe it. Now, in tall trees such as the Amazon, we connect the bridges to trees. But in shorter forests like Michigan or where I grew up in upstate New York, we can use poles. We can use super tall telephone type poles because maybe the skywalk only has to go about 30 to 40 feet high to reach towards the top of the trees. Yeah, I would think that that would be possible even with the the taller ones, but not so much, huh? Sometimes it's really hard, as you can imagine, to get a tall telephone type of pole into the middle of a country like Madagascar or Brazil. So, Sometimes it's a matter of how can we get the equipment into these forests in order to research them, whereas most of us know that in the U.S. it's pretty easy to transport different types of things to places where we might need to be conducting research on the trees. You know, I just saw something in the notes that um, that that were sent over to me when we were setting up this uh this interview, Meg, and I, it, it really jumped off the page at me because I've had many National Geographic explorers on the show, and I've never known how, what it takes to become a National Geographic explorer. Oh, that's so, such a cool question. You know, I think basically I started out in my younger years applying to National Geographic for grants. They're one of the few organizations that funds exploration in the sense if you have a question that's wild and crazy and maybe most more conventional organizations won't fund it, National Geographic is very innovative and open-minded. And over the years, I've saved quite a few forests by applying to National Geographic for funds. And then over time, 
you become what they define as an explorer, which I believe simply means someone who's gone out on a limb, no pun intended, but (laughs) done something a little bit different from maybe everyone else who might be back in the lab doing the same kind of thing that has been done before them. So I think it's just anybody who might have a curiosity and a passion for discovery. And that's what I think fuels National Geographic to fund explorers like myself. And, and, um, is there, um, do you get a badge or anything? (laughs) Oh gosh, I wish I did. I get a little title beneath my name when I send you an email, (laughs) but, and I get to go to the beautiful headquarters occasionally and make reports and give talks to kids over time. So I guess one of the biggest rewards for me is that it gives me an, a, you know, kind of connection to kids because most kids have read the almanac or have seen the magazine and when you say national geographic they say oh i think i might need to listen to this person so that makes for a great ability for me as a grown-up scientist to reach the eyes and ears of kids in a very friendly way um meg when uh, how did how did you get interested in in the treetops themselves um i know a lot of people i I don't know a lot of people but i've talked to a few people who study trees but mostly from the ground um what what made you wonder what's going on way up there at the top You know, Tom, this is kind of embarrassing, but I was the geekiest kid. I was really (laughs) very shy. I I was not the popular girl I found. I I took my refuge in a way in nature. I would go after school in the backyard, or I would go into the local little parks and find wildflowers and look for bird nests and do all kinds of things that, you know, in today's world, you would definitely label me as a geek. Um, and I actually made little tree forts. I had a couple friends that were loyal girlfriends who we helped me haul a few little logs and things out into the woods, and we made tiny ladders up trees and rested in branches and took our picnic lunches. We thought we were, like, very cool, but we weren't, of course. And... Um, So from about age three, I just guess I found some level of refuge in nature, and I loved trees. I never dreamed in my generation that I could be a scientist. I didn't even know a woman scientist when I grew up, and I never even had a woman science teacher all through college. But somehow I just kept studying trees and studying trees, and lo and behold, the world opened up, and they said, oh, my gosh you know a lot about trees. We need you to help us with these tree diseases, or we need you to go to the Amazon and figure out how many species are there. So I just kind of carved a niche for myself, but I was very naive, and I was really just a nutcase because I was a lover of nature and ended up becoming an expert on trees. Um, And I only climbed the tree because when I got to graduate school, my advisor said, what? you want to study leaves, which I did. I loved leaves. He said, well, then you have to go to the top of the tree where the leaves are growing. And I was horrified. I thought, oh, my gosh, can't I just 
lie on the fourth floor and wait for them to fall. And my <laughs> advisor said, no, you're going to have to figure out how to climb this darn tree. So that's really what led me to developing the methods to climb a tree. In, in studying the things at the top of trees, why is that important? Is it, um, is, is it about making a case for the protection of trees? Um, yes, it is in many ways. And I just published a book called The Arbor Knot where I talk about that in depth. But first of all, Tom, if you can believe it, we have now figured out that 50%, half of the species that live on the land part of our planet live in the top of a tree. So that makes it a huge genetic library and a huge place where all our pollinators and our decomposers and our birds and our insects hang out. So that's really, really important. And even more, we now know from going into the treetops as arbor knots that that's where all the productivity occurs. That's the beginning of this whole business called carbon storage, which is helping us keep the planet healthy. That's where most of the growth of the tree occurs. And so it's suddenly become this incredibly critical machine called the canopy, which literally keeps us alive as human beings. Are you finding, um, are you finding life in treetops that hasn't really been recognized or studied? All the time. All the time. It's amazing. But of that 50% of species that we now estimate lives up there, Tom, less than 10% has ever been classified, named, or discovered. So that means for every kid on the planet, there's probably a species they could discover and name. And over my career, I've, you know, laid eyes on hundreds, if not thousands, of new species. And it's always this extraordinary library of critters up there that we really hope desperately we can understand and classify before it's too late. Because once a forest is burned or cleared, as you can probably guess, some of those species might become extinct and we'll never see them again. You know, there's a, a similar situation going on on the ocean floor. Researchers are finding new species and, and stuff all the time. How is, are all of these things connected? And if, if everything is connected, how is it that, that whole species... Uh, can go unnoticed? Well, I guess that's a great question. And, of course, it's pretty practical when you think about it, how many people have climbed to the top of a tree in your own neighborhood, much less think about the redwood trees or the huge great capuk trees in the Amazon where almost nobody's ever been to the top so it's not surprising that if anything lives up there, which of course they do, um, that nobody's ever seen them, much less studied their biology, figured out how long they live, seen where they lay their eggs, find out what they eat. There's so many pieces of that food chain 
that we don't know anything about. And in many cases, especially in tropical forests, we now know they provide medicines for the local people. They provide medicines for us if we discover what they're doing and how they're digesting their leafy um, food sources. And we also know that they're part of the glue of the system. So say if you lose a beetle that pollinates the orchid, then you lose the orchid. And if you lose, you know, the other insects that might pollinate the tree and they're gone, you lose the tree itself. So everything up in these ecosystems are connected. Um, it's not unlike a, a city where you have all these supply chains of someone brings your milk to the store and someone takes your garbage away and someone goes and teaches you in school and another person builds your school. Well, in an ecosystem of a forest, there are all these different species that are participating in these different ways to make the whole community healthy and it's our job as humans now to make sure this forest system stays healthy because we know that it literally keeps us alive with oxygen, with cleansing our water, with storing our carbon, with giving us medicines, and even a lot of fruits. Here's a cool thing, but, you know, chocolate comes from tropical tree canopies. Good heavens. That's a good enough reason to save every tree, isn't it? <laughs> you would think. With all the different kinds of trees there are, um, do each of the trees have a specific role they play? They do, and some have similar roles. There are you loved your weeping willow, which is great, and there are a couple different kinds of willow, which sometimes share similar roles, but each is slightly different. So, in nature, as in you know our own cities. People have different but related roles. Um, species have different but related roles. And some trees grow in the shade. Some trees prefer to grow in the sun. Some trees provide really heavy-duty, dense timber. Others have softwood because they want to grow really tall and fast quickly to shade the other trees. Some trees supply habitat for beehives, and others supply habitat for bird nests. So... It's incredible, Tom, and that's what an ecologist does, like me, is try to figure out, like a detective almost, what are those different species and what different but similar roles do they play in this amazing food web called the forest? Well, the uh, the new book is the uh, Nat Geo Kids Almanac 2023. It's the biggest almanac yet, um, and it's uh, a New York Times bestseller. And this year, the um, the challenge, the almanac challenge, is me as a tree. And to talk about the book and about trees, our guest is... Um, well, the Einstein of the tree trop, treetops, according to National Geographic, and uh, um, an arbon, arbornaut by, uh, by profession, National Geographic explorer and director of Tree Foundation, Dr. Meg Lohman. Meg, um, the time has just flown by. We're, we're 
just now out of time, but I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Sure. Thanks, Tom. I sure do. Um, It's called CanopyMeg.com. My nickname that fifth graders have given me is Canopy Meg. And I'd love kids to go there and enjoy the videos and find out all the importance of trees. I have another website called treefoundation.org that talks a lot about my projects with my nonprofit to save different forests around the world. So I hope everybody gets a chance to do that if they um, want to learn more about trees, especially if they're going to take on the challenge with the almanac, which is so exciting for the year. Well, Meg, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much for spending your time and your expertise with me and the listeners. Keep up the good work. Hey, thank you, Tom, and all the best. Hope every kid out there is saving trees in your community and learning to love them at the same time. All right. Take care. Once again, that was uh, Dr. Meg Lohman, who pioneered the science of canopy ecology studying treetops and we'll have more of the tom sumner program straight ahead Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. 
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop attorney generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov ag. Put those away, we're at a gas station. What? This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'd like to do a song from a Broadway show. The show is Paint Your Wagon, and the song is I Talk to the Trees. stars but they never hear me the breeze 
breeze hasn't time. The breeze hasn't time to stop and hear what I hear say. Hear what I say. I talk to them all. I talk to them all in vain. But suddenly, my suddenly, someone else is here. Stupid song. <laughs> Every time that I that That's I hear you sing type. that song, I think it. Boy, what a stupid song. Yeah, yeah. Think it, Vanessa. <laughs> you really pick a fine time to tell me about it. Well, I wanted to surprise you. No, oh. yeah. you just succeeded. You surprised me. But for your information, "Talk to the Trees" is not stupid. It's, it's from stupid. a hit Broadway show entitled "Paint Your Wagon," which was a great show. A lot of great songs. Paint your wagon. <laughs> Yeah. A stupid sounds like a stupid show and a stupid song and it's a dumb and anybody connected with a show or a song like that has got to be a stupid dumb weirdo freak all right i agree with you the show happens to be about a young man very much like yourself maybe i spoke a little hastily it's about a young man very much like my brother he's Young and shy and bashful, very timid, but he's so much in love. That, that makes everything all right. He was so much in love, it was his first love. But he was so bashful that he was afraid to tell his sweetheart that he loved her and she knew not of his love. But he had to tell someone or something because it, this frustration, this terrible feeling was building up within him. And finally he did a very beautiful thing. He went out to the Did he tell country. her that he loved her? No. He never did. He wished he could. He wished he had the courage to walk up to her and take her by the hand and look deeply into her eyes and say very simply and truthfully, I love you. I love you very much. And I only hope that one day you may grow to love me half as much as I love you right now. I will. Because I... <laughs> That's just enough. But he couldn't do that. So one day he went out in the countryside and he tried to communicate with Mother Nature's wise old trees and, and talk to these trees and tell these marvels of nature, these wise old trees of his great love. guy's a real nut. <laughs> no, he's not a nut. Sneaking off into the forest to talk to the trees. <laughs> Tommy, that's not what he did. Hi there, Mr. Tree. How are you? How's Mrs. Tree? All the little bushes. <laughs> guy like that would talk to a fire hydrant. Fire. Hi there, Firehead. I've just been talking to this big old tree over here. <laughs> Certainly have a lot in common, you two. <laughs> All right, now that is just enough. Tommy, don't you understand at all? Just a second. Hi there, Stage. Used to be a tree, didn't you? <laughs> you are a very shallow, callow individual. You have made fun of this song. You haven't even tried to understand. Who's your fat friend? Used to be a tree, didn't you, Fatty? <laughs> Will you leave my base alone? What happens? You hang around with the wrong type of people. Shut up! You really should be proud of yourself. Really, you should be very proud of yourself. You stood up here and you ridiculed me. You ridiculed this song. You ridiculed a wonderful show. And it's and you think everybody's proud of you out there. You think they're all looking up there and say, "Oh, why isn't he a sharp, clever boy?" No, they're all staring at you. They're staring and wondering. And they've, you know what you've shown them? You've shown them how crass, how shallow, how unfeeling an individual can be, how totally void of any poetic beauty in your entire makeup, your entire soul. You didn't understand the song? You ridiculed me and you've come down Why a, a notch or two. That's you, all I've got to say. You, you what? 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't care what you do now. You didn't like... Go ahead. You talked, you talked mean to me, and, and you said that I didn't have any sensitivity, and I was a crash, shallow person. I happen to be a person too, Dickie, and I have sensitivity, and I have feeling, and I have love in my heart. I'm sensitive to every little blade of grass that grows. But I wouldn't talk to him. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
the sake of having you near In spite of a warning noise that comes in the night And repeats and it shouts in my ear Don't you Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 